to fear, where terror is homegrown. Join us as we take a drive down dusty back roads and discover the obscure and dark history of this country, human and otherwise, that lurk in your backyard. Welcome back to another episode of State of Fear. This is Chris. Hey, and I'm James. So for episode four, we are going to go over Arkansas. The great state of Arkansas. Arkansas, yes. <laughs> I like saying it that way as opposed to Arkansas because yep. phonetically it just looks better. Yes, it does. Yeah. Um, so before we get started, uh, James, how has your week been so far? My week has been busy as hell, brother. Has I've been really? actually waiting to get here to blow off some steam. <laughs> Because I love this shit. You love uh, just getting away from things for a while and Hell yeah. letting go of the real world. And Well, actually, this is the real world, too, because this is some crazy stuff. And, some in, crazy shit. In real states in the United States. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, so today we are switching it up a little bit. The last three episodes, we did something more of the paranormal nature. Yeah. Now we're going to do a true crime story, and today is the story of Arkansas, or Arkansas, how we like to say it, <laughs> worst mass murderer, Ronald Gene Simmons. Or as you refer to him, a spree killer. Yes, yes, he is a spree killer, uh, and we say that because initially we um, were calling this a serial killer episode, but yep. as I pointed out to James, there's actually a difference. Serial killers kill multiple victims over a long period of time, a.k.a. Night Stalker, or even more so the BTK killer, whereas spree killers kill a lot of victims over a very short time frame, such as Ronald Gene Simmons, or the more, the most famous of, of uh, spree killers, Charles Whitman, yeah. in the Tower at Texas. The tower at Texas, yep. Yeah. So uh, that's the two differences. So uh, Mr. Simmons killed about 14, 16 people over a span of about a week. Yeah. So that is not serial killer time at all. That that's way no, too, that, too, that's, too quick. No, that's that's some seriously fucked up shit. Yeah. But first, let's go over the uh, weird news of the day. James, what do you got for us? Oh, man, I got a good one for you today, guys. All right. Um, this story comes out of the st the great state of Illinois. Illinois. Really. I'm not much for... No, another coincidence. <laughs> we'll find out later. Mr. Uh, Mr. Simmons was born in Chicago, Illinois. He what? He Holy is. hell. Another coincidence, now We got to stop doing this, brother. This is going to freak my ass getting out. Getting creepy. All right. Well, the article is dated uh, somewhere October of 2019, and the article is titled, Trucker Reports Seven-Foot-Tall Person with Wings Near O'Hare International Airport. All right. Oh, now, there man. is a mock-up drawing of what the witnesses described it, and 
to me, it looks like one of your favorites, the Mothman. It looks just like the Mothman. It sure yeah. certainly does. I guess he's out there to wreak some havoc. He, he never went away. Well, here's a story. Manuel Neverett of UFO Clearinghouse received a report recently from a man who said he was standing outside a cargo dock at O'Hare International Airport in Chicago when he spotted a seven-foot-tall person with wings just outside of a fence by the parking lot. The sighting reportedly took place at approximately 6.30 p.m. on November 26th. Hell, man, that's early evening, bro. So this, this story must have been from, like... More recent than then, if this took place, did this take place November 26th of this year? That's, you know what, that's what it is. So that All was right. even closer than I thought. Yeah, okay, so yeah, it must have just come out then. Great. Holy crap, that's a month ago. That's awesome. According to the report, this is what he said. I was at the airport picking up a load at Nippon Cargo Airlines. I was already backed into a dock and was standing away from the truck smoking a cigarette while they loaded my truck. See, I hate when they overword sentences. Oh, I know. That it makes me stumble, but that's the way it's written. That's the way it's written. I was looking toward the runway in the direction of the tunnels, and that is when I noticed something that looked like a large bird standing just outside the fence by the parking lot. It was not hard to miss because two street lamps were nearby. It looked like a person with wings and that were stretched out and flapping. Wow. Flapping? Yeesh. <laughs> Big-ass bat. That's yeah, <laughs> that's what I would think, too, yeah. I was walking away from the fence toward the open field and then began to flap its wings and disappeared. Wow. That sounds like a lot like Mothman, for sure. Jeez. Yeah. She probably shot up. Navarrete was able to speak with the witnesses over the phone. Oh. See, we... that's that's where I get kind of aggravated at these cryptid stories, because over the phone, yeah. secondhand information, but it's still cool. Unfortunately, that's the only information we ever get with these things. Cause... Pretty much, yeah. Because as I said, we, we discussed cryptids before, and the fact that they are very hard to find, right. if at all, mm-hmm. because they are elusive and smart. They are the world's champion of hide-and-seek. Yes, they are. To quote... I spoke with the witness via phone and was able to get a little more information regarding this sighting. The investigator said, The witness primarily speaks Spanish, but was able to report this sighting with the help of his daughter and her boyfriend. Notice the slight inflection. See, yeah. I, gotta, I gotta, you know, when it's other people talking, I gotta change up a little bit. Gotcha. He was standing away from his truck and was being, while it was being loaded, smoking a cigarette, when he said he caught movement out of the corner of his eye and saw the being standing near the parking lot that was illuminated by two street lamps. The witness stated that the creature was about seven feet tall, using the fence as a point of reference. Navarrete explained, When I asked him how he was able to be so certain as to the height of the being, the driver stated he had been to this location multiple times and he estimates the fence to be about eight feet high. Using the fence, he was certain that the being was at least seven feet tall. Holy shit. Yeah. When I asked him how large the wings were, he said at least six feet across and back. That is a big, big creature. Yeah. Oh, and black. Mm. I said back. Oh. So he has black six-foot wings. That's some demon shit. That is some demon shit. The witness used language seen in previous sighting reports from the largely Hispanic neighborhood of Chicago's Little Village. When I asked him to describe the being, he said it looked like a demonio, a demon, or a duende, a goblin, and was solid black. The witness said he saw nothing that looked like eyes, and he he assumed that the creature might have had his back turned to him. Like, take a picture of this. 
<laughs> he stated that it walked with a gait like a bird and that it was flapping its wings as it walked toward the large field that is by the runways. Sorry, folks. And disappeared into the night, said Navarrete. Well, damn. Mm -hmm. Also present was a sense of evil similarly reported by previous witnesses. The witness did state that when it disappeared, he quickly did si did the sign of the cross and asked <laughs> the Virgin Mary for protection. Like a demon. Well, you know what? I would too. I would too. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He put out a cigarette and quickly walked back to his truck. When I asked him what he why he did that, he stated that he felt a presence that was evil and was convinced that he had seen a demon. Which, if I saw something seven feet tall with black wings and red eyes flapping his wings... I would think demon too. I mean, especially in like the Hispanic culture. Yeah. I mean that that you know that that's a demon right there. Absolutely. And I was married to a Spanish lady for twenty years, and we yeah. always had at least one haunted room. Of course. Absolutely. When asked to elaborate on the statement, the witness refused to talk about it anymore for fear of it coming back. Said Navarrete. Now that I will, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> then there's there's all, there's also similar uh, in, uh, feelings with like the Mothman encounters. People felt uh, weird or felt uh, scared or, or like it was dangerous. So I yeah, mean, again, similarities going on. Don't there mess too. with well because everywhere the Mothman showed up, disaster right. strikes. And it wasn't always just because it was seven feet tall and black. It's just it had this, you know, this sort of uh, uh, aura or or sort of uh, feeling that it emitted that made people afraid of it and the fact that it didn't care if you saw it or not and right. it just casually strolled off exactly. and took off at its own leisure exactly you know if it doesn't show any fear or being detected you know yeah yeah anyway it continues quote i respected his wishes and went on to ask other questions about the time conditions and if there were any other potential witnesses to the sighting he continued, he stated that there were others at the same facility, but many were either inside the facility itself or in their trucks. When asked if he had seen something similar before, the witness stated that he had, he had before when he was a teenager back home in Mexico. The witness stated that he saw a solid black-winged creature that was circling in an open field that he and other children were playing soccer in. He stated it circled in the field and made a loud screeching noise before flying off in the surrounding forest. Jeepers creepers. Yeah, really. When I asked him if he remembered the date of the sighting, he stated that he did not remember the exact date, but a week later there was a large earthquake in Mexico City. For the record, the magnitude 8.0 earthquake that hit Mexico City was on September 19th of 1985. To quote, the witness seemed sincere albeit scared that he had seen something demonic and evil. It is my opinion that the witness is telling the truth. An investigator will be dispatched to do a f to an investigator will be dispatched to do a field observation and any info will be posted on UFO Clearinghouse as it becomes available, he added. The sighting location is less than 15 miles west of Lake Michigan. Oh great. Wow. I've been to Lake Michigan. Have you now? I didn't see no big ass flapping wing. When'd you go? Running around there. When were you last there? Uh, ninety four. Okay, yeah, it's, it's been a couple of decades. Been been a minute. Been a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Story goes on. Several other sightings have been reported in the same area, including an October thirtieth sighting of a large winged humanoid in Park Ridge. An October 29th report of a winged humanoid accompanied by several other beings. Oh on man. October 
<laughs> yeah, no kidding. An October 19th sighting of a giant-sized bat outside of the Edward Hotel in Rosemont and an October 5th sighting of a tall creature with bright red eyes and large wings near Chicago's O'Hare International Airport and a report from July of a six-foot-tall creature flying over the Des Plaines River near Rosemont, Illinois. This is the latest news in a string of Mothman sightings. Ah, mm -hmm. they finally referred to him. Okay, within a few hundred mile radius surrounding Lake Michigan. Oh boy. Including every state bordering the Great Lakes. These sightings ostensibly began in spring of 2017. Why are we just now hearing about this? Uh, I, they've actually been talking about them, but they haven't really reached uh, mainstream news until recently. I suppose. Yeah, they're... People will think I'm crazy. Well, I, I've I've been I've been seeing reports of Mothman for the last, actually, the last like five years or so. Well, he's your fave. Yeah, and and but like they've been in all the different types of, uh, you know, cryptozoology uh, websites, and people are posting them on the Facebook and stuff. But um, yep. they this is like the first time it actually made like mainstream news. Yep. Story continues. More historical accounts are being reported as more people become aware of the phenomenon. Sightings of weird winged beings around Lake Michigan have been reported at all hours, often in or near a park and around water. Witnesses consistently describe a large gray or black bat or bird-like creature, although a smaller number of cases that the creature was described as insect-like sometimes with glowing or reflective red, yellow, or orange eyes and humanoid features such as arms and legs often reported. Many of the sightings are also something seen only briefly or be described as a flying creature with few details, which leaves open the possibility that a large avian being could explain some encounters. Sightings of anomalous avians, including thunderbirds or pterosaurs, are often reported in or near the same location as those where witnesses have reported winged humanoids. Man. I know. I'm going to tell you. And that's recent. So that's I a, like that shit. It's the second time that he was seen at the O'Hare National Airport, because it says in here that there was another sighting before of him being sighted at the O'Hare National Airport. Why am I... I'm, Which means that... The, well, but the thing is... uh. In the last few years, there have been more reports of him being seen in and around Chicago, which means that there's there's something, some sort of major catastrophe supposedly going to happen in Chicago because Mothman's M.O. is that he's seen before a some sort of large disaster. He, Usually being blamed for it, I believe. Is sometimes, that sometimes he is, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, he, he was in the West Virginia one because that was the first time there were reports of him, multiple reports of him, being seen just before the Silver Bridge collapsed. Now, um, after that, he was seen at multiple other places where there were eventual catastrophes. But at that point, they began to think that he was more of an omen of the catastrophe rather than the cause itself. Now, weren't he seen? Didn't wasn't there a story of him being seen around Three Mile Island? Or am I crazy? Yeah, Three Mile Island, uh, Fukushima. Yeah, there's even some reports of him being seen before uh, around the World Trade Center before 9/11, which can i don't know take that with a grain of salt yeah um but uh there is another bridge collapse somewhere i forget i think it was minnesota i think where he was seen before um and then the mexico one before the earthquake he was yep. seen there as well and now he's been seen around chicago for like the last i don't know two or three years interesting so something something major is supposedly going to be taking well, place the only reason i said this is going to sound like a stupid reference but i'm going to make it anyway okay you know the muto in the godzilla movie 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Roosts around those nuclear places, glowing uh-huh. red eyes. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if maybe they took that idea. I mean, I don't know how long the Mutos have been around in Godzilla movies, but I think they've been around for a while. But I don't think the Mutos would have been well known in West Virginia. In but six, I know they've got legs, and they don't really well. But and then the male one has wings. You know, they just yeah. kind of look. They look Mothman like. I and mean, see, yes, they're they're different, right? But similar features, I guess yeah. you could say. Now, I, I would. Probably say that's just more of a coincidence. I don't think that I. Well, you know what? Let's find out real quick. Let's find out because I wonder if if the creators took their idea from the Mothman. I don't know. That just it just seems weird to me because those Mutos. That's what they look like to me. When it comes to the the Mothman drawing, they kind of have a similar. Oh, you know, uh, you're talking about the for the new Godzilla that came. Yeah, out Yeah, the new one. Sorry. Um, maybe. I mean, but. Massive probably under, not. Undefined terrestrial <laughs> organism. Probably not. No, it was probably more of just a, a standard. Um, uh, what do you call it? What's the monster name? Um, what's the name for the type of monster it is? Uh, it's called a Muto. No, Kojima or no? What was it? Um, what are they called? There, there's a name for giant monsters from Japan. It's the name they have for the creatures in Pacific Rim. Oh shoot! Oh god! Kaiju. Kaiju. Yes. Ah. Kaiju is an is yeah kaiju kaiju is a name that refers to giant monsters. It's what God, okay. Godzilla is a kaiju as well. Gotcha. And so it was, I guess I think it's just a tip a type of kaiju. So anything giant monster Japanese is considered a kaiju. It's a sort of their kaiju s- species name. Bless you. Gazoon type exactly. Gazoon type. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's a good interesting fact. I just I just found that uh, similarity a little striking. That's yeah. I just yeah. Kind of. I was like. Eh. Yeah, you know. And and again, and you see, but you also see that I think it's just human nature to sort of uh, try to find similarities in different types of things because there were people or there are people who um, reference it to either a demon, depending on their religion yeah. or their beliefs, but also the Thunderbird from Native yeah. American and yeah. the, um, what was the other one they mentioned? Um, the pterosaurs, pterosaurs, which are yeah. just dinosaurs. So. Yep. You know, I think it's in our nature to try to associate it with something, and so when you see the the Mutos, you just associate it with something oh, just similar, similar like that. features. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just way, way bigger. Like I said, sometimes I overthink shit, but yeah. you know that's just the way I do it. Okay, and with that being said, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's episode. Absolutely, this sick bastard. Yeah. On a cold morning in December of 1987, Kathy Kendrick was going through her usual routine as a receptionist secretary at Peel and Eddie Law Firm in Russellville, Arkansas, when a, f- a slightly familiar face walked in from the cold. The 24-year-old mother of one barely had time to ask, can I help you, before Ronald Gene Simmons pulled out a pistol, and shot her four times at point-blank range in the head. So Ronald Gene Simmons was born in Chicago on July 15, 1940, to Loretta and William Simmons. He dropped out of high school in 1957 and joined the U.S. Navy. So he's a veteran. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to say anything for veterans because 99% of them are amazing people. Yeah. Unfortunately, it just takes a few bad eggs to you know, spoil the bunch. Yep. While stationed in Washington, he, he met... Versabi Rebecca Becky Ulibari, that's such a, a very weird name, and the two were married in 1960 after moving to New Mexico. 
He then made the move from Navy to Air Force, and over the next 18 years, the couple had seven kids together. So Mm -hmm. they didn't waste any time. No, they did not. He went from the Navy to the Air Force, so he was in it for the long haul, for sure. Simmons then retired from the military in 1979, having received several awards for service. The Bronze Star Medal, the Republic Vietnam Gallantry Cross, and the Air Force Ribbon for Excellent Marksmanship. Okay, I'm saying Vietnam. I'm thinking poor guy lost his... uh... Lost his marbles. Yeah, he probably came back a, Unfortunately. Uh, a much different person, which happened yeah. to a lot of the vets from over it there. It sure did. I mean, it's, they, a, it's a shame. It is. They saw some really, they saw and participated in some really, really horrible brutal, stuff. Brutal, brutal yes. stuff. Yes. Yeah. And he he may have already been sort of, you know, not all there to begin with, and that definitely probably was like more of a tipping point. Too. Yeah. That, I mean, even the most, you know, devout Christian man gets shipped into a war zone and he comes back. Especially in and, Vietnam. And a lot of them are come back barbarians. Yeah. You know, they, they're, they're beasts because you're in war mode and then you come back to civilian life. It's, it's hard it's to hard. just turn it off. Oh, yeah. Now, I can't speak from experience. I mean, we were both in the service, but unfortunately, I didn't. I was never sent overseas, so I wouldn't no. know. I have talked to my grandfather who was in World War II mm-hmm. and through his battles, and he's 95 years old, and it still Haunted. bugs him. Yeah. And he is the sweetest guy you'd ever want to meet, but it still hurts deeply. And I think somebody who can't control themselves or doesn't have that kind of self-control after they come back yeah. can lose it. And do what you're about to. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what we're this about is, to uh, to what, talk about that he did. Yes. Yeah. And we're actually just about to get into that. So, uh, in 1981, uh, two years after he retired, the Department of Human Services in New Mexico launched an investigation into claims that Simmons had been sexually abusing his 17 year old daughter Ugh. and had also fathered a child with her. Simmons moved his family to a large tract of land in Dover, Arkansas, in order to evade the investigation. The property was desolate and isolated with no phone and no plumbing. Over the next six years, the children were under the merciless rule of their father, who was harsh and exacting. Now, this is where the hard stuff begins. So, six years after that, shortly before the Christmas of 1987, the slowly deteriorating mind of Simmons finally cracked, and he made the decision to kill his entire family. The morning of December 22nd, Simmons pulled out his 22 caliber pistol and shot his wife Becky, and his oldest son, Gene, at their home in Dover, Arkansas. He then strangled his three-year-old granddaughter to death and buried all their bodies in a large hole out back. A hole, mind you, that he had his children dig up shortly before that fateful day under the ruse of building an outhouse. So he had his kids dig their their own own graves. He then sat and waited for the rest of his family to arrive home. When they arrived home, he told them he had gifts for everyone but wanted to give it to them one person at a time. Simmons then methodically strangled each of his remaining children, Loretta, Eddie, Marianne, and Becky, one at a time while also holding them underwater in a rain barrel. I mean, that's that's definitely premeditated, like, no no doubt. Yeah, there's, there's, total... there's no crime of passion there at all. I'm biting my tongue till you finish the story. On the day after Christmas, the remaining members of his family arrived. The first to die was his son Billy and his wife Renata, both shot dead. He then strangled and drowned Billy's son Trey and moved to his daughter Sheila and her husband Dennis McNulty, who he shot as well. Simmons then strangled his daughter-slash-granddaughter Sylvia Gale, who was the child of his abuse with daughter Sheila, Mm. and finally moved on to grandson Michael. He then placed all their bodies in a roll in the lounge of the house and covered all with coats, save Sylvia and the two grandsons. For some reason, he wrapped Sylvia 
in tablecloths and took the two grandsons, wrapped them in plastic sheeting, and then left the bodies of the grandsons in abandoned cars at the end of the lane to their property. This weird. I know. I mean, it's, compo- it's so I mean, strange. It's, it's, you know, to say psychotic is too small a word. I mean, the killings themselves are brutal enough, but to do to, to have a state of mind to wrap Sheila differently and to take the grandson's bodies and put them in a car. Yeah. This one's just... actually really hard for me to listen to, and it was hard for me to read because I am a very, very loving family man. I love my kids. I love you my love grandkids. Yeah. I could... Anybody who could do this, uh, I'm pretty sure we know where he ended up. But oh, yeah, for sure. Still. Yeah, so after he did all of that, the same day he finished that, he went down to a local bar to have a drink. Later, he returned and spent the rest of the night and the following day drinking beer and watching TVs while the bodies still lay in the house. That's just... Ugh. That, that right there is like Jeffrey Dahmer level because Dahmer used to have bodies, not in just in the fridge, but he used to have them in his bathtub and he used to shower in the bathtub with the bodies still in there. Ugh. Yeah. Man. Yeah. There's, there are some seriously jacked up people in this world. Oh, but, yeah. Hey, you know what? That's the point of this show. I mean, this- Find this, some weird shit. This is just as scary as the other stuff we covered for Bad, sure. Bad, mean, horrible. Even more so because you have more of a chance of this happening to you than being abducted by aliens for sure. That is for sure. On the morning of, of December, I was going to say October, I don't know why, I don't know why. <laughs> On the morning of December 28th, Simmons made the drive from Dover to Russellville to kill Kathy, someone Simmons had worked with at a motor freight company where he had harassed and stalked her till he quit in 1986, only after she complained to management about his advances. Mm-hmm. He then went on to shoot J.D. Chafin and wound another woman at an oil company, thereby ending his shooting spree. After he finished, Simmons sat down in the office of the oil company and waited for police to arrive while chatting with another terrified secretary. At which point, when police arrived, he surrendered without any resistance. Simmons was later charged with 16 counts of murder, found guilty, and sentenced to death. When the chance to appeal his sentence came around, Simmons refused, stating, quote, To those who oppose the death penalty in my particular case, anything short of death would be cruel and unusual punishment, end quote. On May 31, 1990, then-Arkansas Governor Bill Clinton signed Simmons' execution warrants, and on June 25, 1990, he died by the method he had chosen, lethal injection. See, now, sorry, you know, uh, at least that's something that Clinton did right. (laughs) Um, But he, I'm sorry, you know, I have a real problem with this. I'm I'm a big believer in the death penalty. Okay. And I believe people should die in the way that they killed their victims. Okay. I think maybe perhaps he should have been stabbed, dunked, drowned in a barrel, revived, and then shot. And then, so, so all of the ways that he... So he didn't stab anybody. Because it, I, th- I thought he stabbed somebody. Did he? No, maybe I'd, I... I don't I, know. I, I heard... Uh, so I remember reading shot... And strangled. 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 That's strangled right. Strangled and shot. Okay. Strangled, shot. Because he strangled them while drowning them. Sorry to mix up the facts. No, you're fine. You're fine. Uh, but yeah, see, I, I'm i always like that. Like if a hatchet murderer, yeah. you know, hacks up his victims, they don't kill them right off the bat. I'm sure right. they chop them up and make them suffer. Right. I'm sorry. Make them suffer. Just putting them out quiet like that, that's letting them off the hook. I'm sorry if everybody thinks that's brutal, tough shit. Um, that's just the way I am because you're going to choke 
the, if I recall correctly, the youngest victim was only 20 months old, not even two years old. Not even two years old. Strangled him to death and drowned him in a damn, in a rain barrel or yep. something. Uh, that's total animal. He's not even a human anymore no. and deserves to be. I mean, he, he, I mean, his, his state of mind was such that he committed all these killings, hung out in the house for a night and a day with the bodies, with and then the bodies, calmly went into town the next day to kill at least two more people. Obviously it was cracked. Right. You know, he was broken. Yeah. You know, seriously broken. Yeah. Uh, but then, but then he sat down and calmly waited until police arrived. And that's what's scary. Yeah. You know? So I guess the only advice I can give is if you know any veterans out there, if anything can be taken away from this, if you know any veterans out there that are having a tough time and they're not getting help, do what you can. Try to try to get them some kind yeah, of help. Yeah, get them some help. I mean, I know a lot of times they need to accept that help, but at least give it a shot. Don't just ignore people like that because somebody can go overboard Somebody can lose it. Yeah. Life stress will get to them. Yeah. Uh, especially somebody's been on multiple tours. They right. come back, you know, bless their hearts. God, they've been through hell. They've been through hell. And then, and then you try to downshift and live a normal life. It's got to be incredibly difficult. Very much so. You know, as an Army vet, I can't say even, you know, the stuff that I did mm -hmm. was nothing compared to what a lot of these guys went through. I didn't go overseas. I did not fight. Right. I did not get in a war zone. You know, uh, so, and I'm I'm, I'm going to extend this, that to say if if you yourself feel like you are going to hurt somebody, mm -hmm. go get help. Yeah, there is always somebody out there. There are places out there where you can get help if you have even the the faintest idea that you want to hurt somebody. Go and get help. It's not too late. Yep. You know, and and you're not alone. There are tons of people that feel like that, um, both vets and non vets. But go and get help. Yeah, this go is talk a, to somebody. Go find somebody to talk to and work it out. It will be, it will may take a little while, but it will be okay. And it's it's not, it's not bad, and it's not weird to feel that way. You just need to find someone to talk it out with. Exactly. Get it off your shoulders before it becomes too big. Yeah, yeah. Now I, I gotta say this. I mean, as much as I love the paranormal, and, and it does kind of freak me out i mean and we've said it several times you know as investigators you know yep. we're not afraid of spirits and demons we're afraid of people yeah and this is exactly why we're afraid of people amen because, to that because as i said you have more of a chance of, of something like this happening especially in this day and age where where mass shooters are all over the damn place yeah you have more of a chance of running something like that than you do a, a demon a bigfoot or an alien abduction and so this to me is probably i mean this this is horrifying Yes, it is. It's super horrifying. Now, see, like I said, because you got somebody pushed there, but then you've got people mass shooting just because they can't handle their own feelings. Right, right, yeah. You know, they get bullied. They lose it. They go grab a gun, and they go back to school and shoot mm -hmm. the place up. Yeah. You know, that's that's a sad and very, very horrible thing. So, yeah. you know, like I said, if you see the signs on anybody, don't ignore them. Even yourself. If you see the signs on yourself, go talk to somebody. Get help. Yep. There's help out there for you anywhere. You just need to... Nowadays, grab your phone, grab a laptop, just Google where you get help, and you'll find somebody. Please. As a matter yeah. of fact, when this po post goes up, maybe I'll post some, some information on the uh, veterans assistance and good know, idea. suicide yeah. hotlines or, yeah. you know, anything. That's definitely a good you idea. Know, uh, not that, you know, 
This it it'd have been better off if this guy had blown his own head off. No, but he had to go and take sixteen of his family with him. Well, and I've and people say that, and and sometimes I I'm 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 most I'm good with with in this cases like this I'm good with police brutality. I think that yeah. they should beat the living crap out of him. But I also don't feel like they should take their own lives because I personally feel like that denies the family's justice. That is true. So that is very very true. And, but the problem is, it was his family. Not the other in two. In this particular case. No, that's not, true. Not the last two. That is two. true. The last two. The last two he people. killed and the person he wounded were, were, were complete. Inno- I mean, they're yeah. all innocent people, but they were non-familiar innocent people. Yeah. And, and, and a normal human reaction to that is for those family members or those other individuals to want, to want this guy to basically burn alive. Right. You know, that's what they want. They want killing, him to suffer. Killing yourself it's, is it's a coward's human way nature. Out. Yeah. yeah. It's human nature. I know they say to forgive is divine and all that. And you try. You may try if you're. If you're that type of person and the fact that somebody takes your family like that and you don't have any recourse, all you can do is go to court and sit there and watch them sentence this guy when you want to reach over there and tear his freaking head off, you know? Well, I think it's mostly like the fathers. I think the the rest of the family is just happy that they're actually getting justice for for their loved ones that they lost. But the fathers definitely want to tear the guy's head off for sure i would yeah I know, somebody, I would you know if somebody ever hurt my family they better, they better leave the planet leave the planet go, go to find, the moon i will find your ass <laughs> yeah. all right james thanks for joining me on another scary episode amen brother i'm happy this is great i mean unfortunately this this subject matter this week was a little harsh uh, but that's, uh that's what name of the game name of the game and, and i mean it's a scary world and, and we're here to report on some of the scary stuff that happens in your particular state so uh yep Thanks again for you guys for listening and joining us on another scary uh, episode. And uh, we will see you on the next one. Again, I am Chris. And I'm James. And we'll see you later, guys. Take care. Peace. Oh, and don't forget to stay tuned for the personal encounter stories coming up right now. Okay. So I went on vacation uh, staying in a rental cabin on a stretch of highway down the road from the uh, Rowdy Beaver Bar and Grill in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Um, I arrived approximately 5 p.m. I did a late check-in. As soon as I walked into the hotel, I immediately felt there was something there. Uh, The air was real heavy in the the cabin. Um, Had a real creepy vibe to it. Whatever. I had worked all day. Didn't sleep much the night before. So I get to the hotel, get checked in. I laid down on the bed while the person I was vacationing with, uh, my significant other at the time, was taking a shower and she's in the bathroom and you know we'd already got everything put up and put away and i'm laying in the bed and the tv is there's the foot of the bed then there's a four foot walkway the couch and then another couple feet in the tv and i'm laying in the bed watching the tv and to the right if you walk past the couch You take a left into the kitchen and a right into the bathroom where the kitchen is. I could see someone standing. So I'm like, well, that's odd. We're the only ones in this room. So I get up, walk in there. No one's there but the kitchen cabinets because it was a full kitchen, bathroom, uh, bedroom, living room. The kitchen cabinets were open. I was like, okay, that's weird, whatever. We go out. We we come back. We decide, all right, we're going to go to sleep. We go home or we get back to the hotel. We lay down. I fall asleep pretty quick. We slept maybe two hours, two and a half hours. We were both wide awake, felt like we had slept all night. 
Okay, that's weird. Whatever. We get up, watch a little TV, lay there, don't fall back asleep. Kept hearing weird noises inside the cabin. I um, was a police officer at the time. I grabbed my off-duty weapon. I cleared the entire cabin, made sure there was no one else in there. Um, we get up. We go about our day. We did five or six touristy activities that should have took us six, seven hours worth of doing. We got back to the hotel and only three hours had passed. It seemed like time was just not moving when we were in Eureka Springs. Uh, we get back and we're like, okay, well, it's still early. We'll just take a nap and hit it back again. We slept for 45 minutes. We both woke up freaking out thinking we had slept all night. So we're like, okay, it's still early. At this point, it was only uh, maybe three. So we head up to the um, the grounds where they have the passion play. We were there, went and took, watched the pottery lesson, walked the entire thing, took pictures at the cross. We're there for what felt like five or six hours. I mean, we were there longer than we should have. Had drove outside of Eureka Springs into another small town, went to Walmart, picked up a couple things, and came back. We were only out two hours. So we were confused. We're thinking, okay, maybe it's one of those weird anomalous, you know, where the days seem extra long, whatever. We get back to the hotel. I open the front door, and I see someone standing in our kitchen again. So I'm like, that's not right. I make a beeline to the kitchen. House is empty. Okay, that's that's strange. We're laying there. You know, we just we weren't even laying. We we're sitting on the couch. We eating some food, watching TV. We hear the kitchen door open. The door leading from the kitchen to the back patio. I'm like that's been locked. Hasn't been unlocked since we've been here. Walk out there, door's still shut, no one there, no one on the patio, again, cabin's still empty. Okay, strange. Um, we go to bed, once again, slept just a couple hours, felt like we'd slept all night. We get up, we go to the Crescent Hotel, which is famously haunted. The Crescent felt less heavy and less like there was something going on there than that weird little cabin on the highway we were staying in. We were at the Crescent for a long time, went around, did touristy stuff, went to the chapel, immediately started smelling smoke upon walking out of the chapel. I thought it was just because I walked into a church, burst into flames, but there was just a strange phantom smoke. Went around, went all over downtown Eureka Springs, Went to a bar, one of the downtown touristy bars, had a beer, went and got some ice cream, you know, the typical touristy stuff. Get back and lay down. It was that evening, and the day just seemed super long, like we could do everything we wanted to, and no time was passing. We get back to the hotel. I'm laying there, and I could hear people talking. And at first, I think it's someone outside. I go outside to have a smoke. There is no one near the near the cabin. I've walked all the way around as, more, as much as I could because it's kind of like on a hillside where the back porch is down, has the beams going down into a drop-off. Went off the back porch. No one's out there. Could hear people talking in the cabin. Thought it was 
strange, but just chalked it up to nothingness. Um, I went to sleep that night. I woke up in the middle of the night. She was still asleep. I saw someone. I could see a shadow walking around our kitchen. I get up. I go in there. There's nobody there. But I could see the shadow walking around until I got about to the kitchen. So I was never happier to check out of a hotel. And I've lived in, I mean, I've traveled a lot. I've stayed in famously haunted places before, like the Glen Tavern Inn in Santa Paula, California. I've been to the Crescent in Eureka Springs multiple times. I've lived in houses that were haunted. But that is by far one of the creepiest places I've ever stayed.